Ready? Yep. Let's go. Healthy, healthy rainbow. Beautiful fish. <laughs> you dropped him, dude. <laughs> On the squall, baby. On the squall. I got it, too. Right there? I got it, I got it too. Oh. He barely puts him in the net. Oh, my God. Uh, sick, sick, sick. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Young Guides Podcast. I'm Keaton, and this is... I'm Kyle. But first, a word from our partners. First up, we want to talk about Heather's Choice. If you go to the Heather's Choice website and use our code TheYoungGuides15 at checkout, you can get yourself 15% off site-wide. So go check them out. We got packaroons for snacks. We got dinners. We got breakfasts. We got a bunch of new recipes coming out to you guys. So head on over to heatherschoice.com at checkout. Use our code TheYoungGuides15 and get you guys something for your next outdoor adventure. Awesome. For our next partner, we have Lucky Bug Lures, home of the Bingo Bug, Zombie Max, Fusion Extreme, Lucky Plug, F-Bomb, and Pike Bomb. They take conventional lures and change them up a little bit, and it helps your fishing and your luck on the water. Go check them out, www.luckybuglures.com. Go get yours today. All right, up next, we have Northern Knits. Emily up here in Anchorage knits wool hats and uh, distributes them through her social media platforms. You can find her on Facebook or on Instagram. Her Instagram account is northern dot underscore dot knits. And uh, you can see some of the hats that she has in stock and order from there. Or you can kind of get an idea of what you want message her and you can set something up uh, to have a specific uh, pattern or color scheme that you want in your hat. Keaton and I both have one. Well, uh, I actually have several. <clears throat> Keep you very warm. They're very fashionable. They look great. They feel great. You'll look awesome if you wear one too. Check her out, Northern Knits. Next up, we have a friend, Matt, at Alaska Rod Co., he just released a new lineup of rods for the 2022 season. They have a lineup of eight freshwater spinning rods with actions and power for anglers chasing big, aggressive fish. With lengths ranging from six foot to nine foot, there are plenty of options for various applications and style. In a world full of mass-produced rods, Alaska Rod Co. makes sure that rods and services provide what other brands cannot. Rods built and tested in Alaska. Matt also is coming out with a new line of fly rods. Alaska Rodco fly rods are built for harsh environments while maintaining the utmost level of craftsmanship. Right now, Alaska Rodco has nine foot fly rods ranging from five weights to eight weights. 10 foot single hand rods, switch, and spay rods will be available late winter or spring. There's enough rod companies out there trying to build the next lightest and flashy rod. Alaska Rodco is here to build you a rod you can pass down generations. Fishing means many things to many different people. Alaska Rod Co. is honored to build you the ultimate tool that connects you to that meaning. If you want to learn a little bit more about Alaska Rod Company, go back and check our previous podcast. We asked him several questions about his rods, his warranties. Um, it does, he does a great job of explaining everything and covering 
everything about his company. Also, if you have questions, you can always DM him or DM us and we can get you going in the right direction. So Alaska Rodco. Finally, we want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the Young Guides podcast. If you can head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review and a rating. It helps us know that we're uh, doing this for the right reasons and you guys are giving us some great feedback already. You can also head over to Spotify. They now have a rating feature on the podcast there. So if you could let us know how we're doing, that would be great. It also helps you or excuse me, helps us spread the word through you, Um, but makes us pop up on the feeds um wherever you listen to podcasts a lot more if you give us a great rating and a great review you can also head to our website and contact us through that form if there's anything that you think we should know about if you want to be on our show or if there is something that uh, we need to work on you can also find us on instagram and same thing give us some feedback drop us a message and we will get back to you with Instagram, make sure to also check our story. We uh, Before we do our podcast on Thursdays, we always have an option for you guys to ask questions to the people coming on our podcast. Um, and we, get, we post a lot of stuff that we like to get uh, viewers and people following us involved. So if you want to head on over, give us a follow and uh, start asking questions and join in on the fun on our Instagram page. Without further ado, here's the episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Young Guys Podcast. I'm Keaton and this is... I'm Kyle. And today we have a very special guest on the podcast. We have Russell McDonald, also known as Russ. Russ grew up in Minnesota, um, began hunting when he was young, hunted rabbits, squirrels, ducks, grouse, deer, pretty much anything they could. Um... Russ uh, joined the Navy when he was young, um, graduated, and uh, ended up, um, excuse me, Russ uh, joined the Navy once he graduated, ended up um, in the Navy for a while, and ended up in California, Um, and that's when he kind of got back into hunting uh, when he was 40. Uh, He was watching turkey hunting videos, hunting shows, kind of sparking obsession with turkeys, and uh, took that obsession to Washington. Uh, where he got involved with the Lake Washington um, NWTF chapter, uh, National Wild Turkey Federation. Um, And that involvement has led him to where he's at now, being uh, president of the South Sound Strutters and uh, the state of Washington uh, NWTF chapter. So with that, Russ, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, Thanks for having me on. For sure. Well, to get us started here, Russ, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about your background? Maybe start with growing up hunting, what that looked like, and and how old you were when you started. Uh, the funny thing is, is is uh, a lot of people ask me this, and uh, I kind of come up with the with this thing of saying, you know, the Robertsons from Duck Dynasty, and, <laughs> and I say, well, that was my family in northern Minnesota without the long beards and the million dollars. You know? <laughs> We, we, we grew up we grew up you know fishing and and hunting for just about everything my dad worked in uh, uh, iron ore mines in, of northern minnesota and a lot of times in the winter that slowed down so sometimes that hunting and fishing sustained us i mean that uh, that that's kind of i i grew up 
you know, doing that. There was never turkeys back there in Minnesota when I grew up. I mean, I was, I was saying, I, I got a daughter that's older than both of you guys. So, you know, that, that kind of ages me a little bit. But, yeah. but back in Minnesota, I mean, now there's tons of turkeys back there, and there never was when I was back there. But that's, it's kind of, you know, getting into that and then, uh, yeah kind of got in the Navy after I graduated and I kind of dropped out of hunting a little bit. So I, I was with my first wife, got rid of that mistake as I call it. And then, uh, I, about 40, I thought, you know, I kind of missed hunting and I met my, met my current wife and hopefully the only wife I'm going to have now. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like, what is there hunting? Because I was in California, Northern California, the Oroville area. And everybody knows Oroville because of the dam. But but that that area had, you know, I didn't want to hunt deer because deer, black-tailed deer were about the size of German shepherds. And <laughs> I'm used to growing up in Northern Minnesota with big white tails. I mean, my first white-tailed deer at 12 years old was over 200 pounds. Ooh. So actually I'll send you guys a picture of that one, but, okay. but it, sure. yeah, it, it was, it was a big, as we call in, in the, you know, in the Midwest, it was a big old black swamp buck. So, so, and that was my first big game at 12 years old where I could legally hunt big game. And uh, yeah, I, I, I couldn't shoot small deer. I mean, and then I found out, Hey, there's turkeys around here and yeah. you know, Nobody's there to teach me turkeys. I kind of knew a little about, bit about the NWTF. And I'm like, what can I learn? And I found this, again, dating myself, I found some VHS tapes of a guy named Mikey Waddell. I'm sure you guys know him. And uh, I kind of was watching those. I'm like, hey, this is kind of cool. And I went out and bought some calls. And I was sitting there working one day. And a guy came up business, he was cell phones and part of our company did cell phones. And uh, he was saying, hey, does anybody hunt here? And of course they point to me, I'm working on a cop car on two-way radios. And uh, he says, well, that guy over there hunts. So the guy walks up to me, he's, he's in agriculture, a prune orchard. He comes up to me, he says, hey, you hunt turkeys? I said, no but I want to. And he's like, I got turkeys. They're, they're ruining my prune orchard. Can you shoot them all? I'm like, I look at him. I say, you gotta be kidding. There's there's somebody's pranking me. I'm like, he says, no, no, here's the key to the gate. Just give me a call when you come out. So I went out there with some calls and listened to set up this blind homemade blind and Lo and behold, the roost was behind me across the river, and I'm listening to these hens yelp. I never heard it before in my life. I'm thinking, well, those are turkeys. So I started listening to them and imitating them on a slate call. So pretty soon, I'm not getting no response. They're not talking to me. So I'm pretty soon, I, I finally get the cadence and the ears, ear down and the tone, and I'm like, hey. These guys are talking to me now. So we talk back and forth. And I see a turkey fly into the orchard. 
And uh, I've, I found out those things are very fast when they hit the ground. <laughs> and they're like, when they're flying, they're like, you know, mini drones. They're, they're that big. I mean, they got yeah. a six foot wingspan. Yeah. But once they hit the ground, I think that it reminded me when I first saw him in running, he reminded me of the roadrunner. You know, there was dust kicking up behind him and he's just flying. I'm like, 100 yards away. I'm like, I ain't going to take a shot. <laughs> so he's about way in front of me, about 100, 150 yards. I just do one strike across that, one yelp across that slate call. And he turns, stops, turns straight at me and starts running straight at me. <laughs> stops at about 30 yards and starts looking at me like, hey, there's something there. I don't know what it is. But before that, I'm like, I, I'm going like, oh, shit, he's running towards me. So I got to get ready. I'm throwing all this stuff around and I pick up my gun and I'm aiming it. And he stops in front of me as I'm looking at him. I'm saying, that's a turkey. And then I just drop the hammer on him. There you go. That's, that's, that's what all started the craze and the addiction wow. of turkey hunting. So. That is so awesome. Heck yeah. What a cool experience too. And uh, it's like, it's almost like God opened up the gates for you on your, your first country. You know, Mikey Waddell, he'll, he'll say it. And you look back at some of his videos and if he talks about turkey hunting, he says it's an addiction and yeah. it truly is. It really turkey hunting is an addiction. <laughs> it, yeah. I, I hunt. And I fish, I hunt deer, I hunt elk, you know, I get the quad license every year in the state of Washington, deer, elk, bear, and cougar. Mm -hmm. I actively hunt deer and elk. But if I was to give up anything, I'd give up all that and never for turkey hunting. You say, I'd be old and in a wheelchair, but you'd still be wheeling me out there in a blind somewhere to turkey hunt. Yeah. Everything else will go to the wayside. The turkey hunting will never go away from me for sure um i i totally agree i i hunted turkeys and there's just something different there's something different about hunting a turkey versus hunting any kind of big game animal it's there's, there's nothing like it yeah so you know, i'll go ahead keaton i was gonna say um it's very i i i found russ at a uh, the pl sportsman show and uh i've i've only been turkey hunting like once or twice and uh his presentation was absolutely awesome. Um, so it, it's really cool to hear these stories about your success and kind of how you got into it. And it gives, you know, me like hope that I eventually will be successful when I'm out tur hunting Turkey. Um, but yeah, let's, we'll keep on rolling there, but I just wanted to share that. That was, that was a good story. So, I, also, I, I mean, yeah. I got into that, you know, Growing up, I grew up with a younger brother, like a year younger than me. So mm -hmm. if you ever grown up with a brother in, in a hunting family, right? It's like, who's got the biggest fish, deer, yep. you know, it's, it's a competition. And right now it's kind of, this is where I've gotten in the last five years or so is teaching other people to hunt turkeys is my biggest thing. But I, you know, I tell stories about me deer hunting and everything yeah. else but it's it's passing that on you know i've gotten to the age it's like i feel more 
satisfied in helping somebody else be successful than I am in being successful. I mean, it took me seven years to get my first bird in the state of Washington, but I can guarantee you I helped 20 people get their first bird before I got mine. Yeah. So I, I mean, I felt more satisfied and, and I felt that I was successful in, in my, even though I didn't get anything, I felt more successful in my season by helping somebody else get their bird before I could. Yeah. That's awesome. awesome. And, and, you know, sitting on like a comparison with you is I understand, uh, well, me and Kyle probably both can understand, like we, you know, we all love, like me and him, we love fly fishing, right? And we love taking people out. And at the end of the day, there's just nothing that compares to helping other people be successful in something that you also have like a, a crazy passion for, so seeing that that smile on their face yeah. when they, you know even if they don't shoot at a bird i mean i had two guys out last year and uh they didn't know but i i know right where the roost are on his private property and i set them up about 60 70 yards off it and the, as the day was starting to get a little brighter pretty soon them birds were getting vocal and they're like what's going on and i'm i'm like I'm sitting there talking to them real nice and soft as they're up, up in roost because you don't want to be over calling. And then it's like, I keep on saying, if you hear, if you get the chance to actually hear turkeys on the roost, it's incredible. They just start out really soft, but they get to a point where they're about ready to fly down. And it's like a Ted Nugent concert. It's, it's yeah. incredibly loud. And those guys were just mesmerized. I actually had to say, hey, look up, look up, you know. And you could actually see the birds up in the tree. And they're, they're just, they weren't successful because, of course, when they flew down, they flew the opposite way and they never came back to us. But, but yeah, yeah, they're like, it, it, the, and the funny thing was, is those guys actually went out hunting on their own when I, I had to go home. They're like, well, we're going to stay and hunt on our, on our own and on, on some other land. I'm like, go for it. <laughs> That's awesome. So <clears throat> tell us a little bit about when you, you told us about when you got your first turkey and now you're taking other people out. What did it look like between getting your first Tom to taking other people out and moving to Washington. How much longer did you hunt turkeys in California? I, from that first turkey, I was lucky enough. The next three years, I got a turkey every single spring. And so it was three years. That third time I got, it just so happened I got laid off from my job. I was working. I'm an electronic technician. That's what I learned in the Navy. And, uh, I was working at a two-way radio shop and they laid me off. And I was thinking, I need to find a job. I need to find a job out of California. So luckily enough, when I got laid off, it just so happened to be turkey season. So I'm like, I got a lot of turkey <laughs> hunting in during that time. And that that last Tom I had is was the very last one I actually had in California. And then I moved up to Washington and I found out, hey, you know, I started going to NWTF banquets in California, in Northern California. Gridley actually was where I was in Orville. Chapters, those were the two chapters. And then when I went up to Washington, I sought out the first 
NWTF, I'm like, hey, man, I got to get, you know, go to a couple of these banquets, get in with these guys. And then, then from that point on, you know, I was trying to be successful. And then they said I signed up like the second or third, no, second banquet I went to. I signed up there asking for help. I said, yeah, I'll help out. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm into this. This, this sounds like a lot of fun. Maybe I'll get some pointers on where there's turkeys here in the state of Washington. Cause I'm not having any success. Yeah. So, so we, I, they call me up like a week. No, nah, I'd say a month before their next banquet. So when they call me up, I say, Hey, you want to help out? I'm like, heck yeah, I'll come help out. I go to a meeting and I come out of that meeting as the vice president of the chapter. I'm like, I just was just going there to help. And all of a sudden I'm the vice president of this chapter. So I'm like, and that's, that's kind of where it took off from there is, is I got in with it. And then I actually went to a leadership, uh, thing that the NWTF put on. I actually went back to Edgefield headquarters, Edgefield, South Carolina, with no other than Rich. Me and him both went back. And uh, that's when I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then they talked about mentor hunting and everything. I'm like, wow. And then, of course, knowing Rich and him being into the mentor hunting too. And so that's kind of where the the teaching people how to hunt kind of building off what I learned as a kid growing up, because we all had to have Hunter Ed, you know, before we can hunt big game. Funny thing is after I took my Hunter education, that game warden decided not to do Hunter education anymore. So what happened, my mom and dad and friends of ours decided to take over the Hunter Ed course. So me and my brother, of course, were involved in Hunter education and teaching kids then and being a kid, kids ourselves. And that's kind of building on that now is, is having that passion of us always wanting to hunt, always wanting to fish now to pass that on to other people. You know, that, that's the biggest thing that the passion, to, my passion to teach other people how to hunt, to pass the heritage along, I guess you call it. Yeah, for sure. I, I, sorry, Keenan. I, I just want to say, I totally agree with that. I mean, similarly, my dad taught hunter education. Um, I took hunter ed through that course. And then I went with my dad pretty much every time he taught hunter ed and just being so involved with that teaching, um, drives me to want to teach others. I never, I never considered that part being part of why I want to teach others and guide others in the outdoor um, industry just in the outdoors and I think a lot of that stems from being involved in hunter education even though I've, I mean I would help, help my dad teach every once in a while but just being in that environment really promotes you wanting to go out and, and help others and get others involved with something you really enjoy yeah yeah, yeah. And, and, well that is another hat I wear too I am a certified hunter ed instructor for the state of Washington too so I actually teach that also on top of all the other stuff I teach <laughs> busy guy that's awesome so you you go to join uh you know you go to a meeting you walk out as a vice president what did this role uh where did this role take you um like what what does your local chapter do for the you know for turkey in washington state 
Um, can you just like elaborate a little bit on that? What have, you know, what do you guys do? Just all kind of all that. Well, I mean, originally when it started out, you know, vice president and, and the chapter I was in was Lake Washington. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing was, is the, the chapter was more like, Hey, we wanted a banquet, you know, <laughs> banquet, have fun, have drink, get drunk, whatever, buy stuff, win guns. But, you know, <laughs> Then I'd like, hey, there's more to this. I think, you know, why I started looking into it. Why are we raising this money? And raising this money was conservation. And the biggest thing is being in Western Washington, it's like there's no turkeys over on Western Washington. What are we raising money for? I mean, a lot of the money we raised for was habitat on the east side, but also a lot of that money was used for for outreaches, for like teaching kids our Jake's program or women in the outdoors is teaching those people. And that's where the teaching part came out is is passing that on, you know, teaching kids, hey, there's more than, you know, that cell phone or that Nintendo or teaching ladies, hey, you know, you, you, your husband doesn't have to be the, or your boyfriend doesn't have to be the only one that hunts, you know, you can go out and do it too. Here's the tools to, to use to go and do that. Yeah. So that, that's kind of that path that we went down and the guys, the president of the chapter said, Hey, maybe you should, you know, come to a state chapter, you know, to a meeting, you know, let's go to that. And it was in Yakima I got involved, I think the second meeting, I think I walked out as the secretary of that state chapter. And then it just kind of grew from there. I became the vice president and then the president, which has been going on six years now. Of course, at the state level, the local chapter level, we, we raise money and that money goes to the state part and that that money that's raised the state gets to pick where that money's going to we'll have a nwtf biologist come to us he'll get projects you know here's you know a project from the forest service we'll give you an example colville comes to us a lot of times and say hey can you partially fund burnt back burns you know burning habitat which colville of course is the turkey capital of, of Washington, that northeast corner up there. So we'll actually put money towards funding burning the Forest Service, burning that public land and, and growing that habitat. And then also funding, you know, weed control and, and replanting native seed and stuff in there. That's, that's a lot of what we do. It's just not the Forest Service, although Forest Service is probably our number one, you know, customer NWTF that we partner, we work with a lot, but we've done a lot for, for the DNR too. And also the White Oaks associate down on the Columbia river, but, but we're the, in the state level, we're the ones that vote where that money goes to. And, 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 you know, putting, you know, boots on the ground. We also provide boots on the ground for, for any type of projects that, that need to be. And we conjure up, you know, try to drum up the boots on the ground from locals, people or whatever, you know, NWTF members from anywhere in the state, which, which we have in the past, but you gotta, we're trying to drum up that PR. I mean, like it's, it's funny in the six years that I've been the president, it's I've in the last since 
actually COVID has hit. My name has gotten out there more and more recognition in the last two years than it has in the last six years. I mean, it's, it's totally strange. I'm like, prior to me going to Nashville, I felt like I was beating my head on a wall constantly. All of a sudden I'm starting to see, you know, a little bit of, you know, uh, progress happening from all the stuff that I've been hammering home between, between me and Rich is just, you know, we're constantly trying to hammer on the state and, and anything else we can get done. Our bios are, you know, help us out in, in turkeys in this state. Yeah. For sure. I, you know, and I think, uh, I think too, people forget that when you're doing, you know, we're doing work through the NWTF and, you know, you got the uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and all those, when you do work through all that stuff, it helps everything um, involved in that habitat. So do you know, getting involved in NWTF, in these things it can all be beneficial in the long run to our future of hunting and and fishing in our state yeah absolutely i mean anything that that we do just isn't just for turkeys i mean for deer for grouse yeah i mean we are actually there was a partnership and i don't know if that contract or mou still exists but we actually uh partnered with uh uh Ducks Unlimited and Pheasants Forever for quite a few years. So anything that any of the three did, you know, that would benefit any of those species of of game that we hunt. I mean, it's we all need to work together. That's the biggest thing. People out here, uh, it's a funny story. People out here, when they hear NWTF, what's the first thing you think of with the NW? Northwest Turkey Foundation. Yes, Northwest. Exactly. I'm constantly correcting. But, but I mean, it, I people ask me, well, what does the Turkey Federation do? What is it all about? I said, well, you know what Rocky Mountain Elk and Ducks Unlimited is? We're just that for turkeys. That's how I got to explain it. I mean, yeah. and then the, the light clicks on if you just say, well, we do habitat stuff for turkeys. They're not like registering. What do you do? And but they know Rocky Mountain Elk and Ducks Unlimited out here. So, so right. I tell them that they're like, "Hey, now we understand." <laughs> it all clicks. Yeah. So I got a question for you. Um, you know, sitting. If I want to do, is there a way for me to get involved in like hands-on habitat restoration if I live on the west side of the mountain? And then if I can't make that drive over, what is the, what's your best recommendation for a person to get involved and help Turkey, you know, if, if they like hunting and they just don't have the time to take off and drive over there. So join the NWTF for, for turkeys. I mean, unfortunately I working with the state and I have been for the last six years is, is trying to change the population or trying to get more birds over on this side. I mean, Basically, not throwing the state under the bus, but they said they're not going to bring any more birds in, in into the state of Washington. The, actually, they have too many birds, not here on the west side, but as a population as a whole in the state, they actually have approximately 30,000 birds in the state, which is wow. which is actually the population of birds is incredible. It's it, compared to the southeast. 
their yeah. population is really going down. I mean, that's all I heard in Nashville is they're worried about the population of turkeys. I kind of laugh. I'm like, we're not worrying about that. We're worrying about getting rid of half of them. You know? <laughs> yeah. And the, and the big thing is, is people ask me about, about turkeys and the habitat over here on the, on the west side. The problem is, is the birds will survive themselves but the hatches don't the clutches as they call them that's that's when hens lay the eggs the, it's too cold and wet during the spring you need to you need to kind of have that warmer spring in order for them eggs to hatch yeah and and and, and of course over here the species over here in the south, southwest part of the state are easterns so the general kind of give you a synopsis of, of the state of Washington and turkeys. We have three of the four subspecies of turkeys in the country. Oh, wow. there, there is, we have um, Merriam's, which is our largest population of birds. We have Rio Grande's, and then we have Easterns. The fourth one in the United States would be Osceola's, which are only found in Florida. So we have three of the four in which you can get a, what they call a Washington slam if you get the three. But another kind of give you a general idea of population. I said about 30,000 total birds in this state. I'm just going to, you know, um, general numbers. The, the, you, I could be off, but out of those 30,000, you figure there's about 20,000 Merriams in this state. The Miriams are mainly in the northeast corner. Uh, the East Cascades from basically from the Oregon border all the way up to Canada. The Eastern Cascades has birds. Wow. The southeast corner has Rio Grande. So I figure about five to seven thousand, somewhere in that range, maybe even close to ten thousand. I mean, I was on fires out there last year and I saw a lot of birds. And then the Easterns that are in the Southwest, about three to 600 birds. I mean, they really truly don't know because they're in, they're in thick timber and you really can't, they don't have a good count on them, but you're talking about 3% of the populations are Easterns in the Southwest state. So, wow. but yeah, the, the big population is Miriam's in the state and they have become nuisance birds. And we've asked them that, Hey, can we trap them and relocate them? Because we have ideas of where a good place would be to go to. So they're not, you know, nuisance birds on farmers or in cities. I mean, you could go to Spokane right now, right in the middle of town and watch turkeys run right through the middle of town. Yeah. They're kind of taking over Spokane actually. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we, we've asked them to do that, but I mean, again, I go back to beating my head on a brick wall sometimes. <laughs> what what would you guys do with uh, like relocation? Like what would what would be your plan? If, would you bring them to the west side? Would you move them to different parts of eastern Washington? Kind of like just chatting about a daydream right there? Or? No, you're, you're not actually about five years ago, me and the NWTF uh, bio sat down with the heads of, of small game and, and talking to their bios and stuff. And we actually had a plan that was written out uh, uh, SOP to, trap and relocate birds 
And we actually talked about possibly bringing over some Miriams to the west side, like maybe more of the northwest where there really wasn't a population of birds for easterns, not, not natural plants up there. Yeah. But we, we talked about that and then turnover within the state and that got circular filed. So it never came to fruition. I mean, unfortunately, and I've brought it up plenty of times and it's just, we, we would like to see more birds over here. Again, it has to be with, you know, habitat and how, how we can sustain the hatch of, of the birds. I mean, the birds themselves will live. They can survive over here. I mean, Easterns and Merriams are hardy birds. I yeah. mean, it, the, Merriams live in the mountains of, of Montana and, and Colorado and stuff, and, and uh, high mountain birds. And then Easterns live, <laughs> heck, they're in Minnesota, almost all the way up to where I grew up in Minnesota. So they can live in the cold. That's no big deal. But I found out that that poults, which are baby um Chicks, yeah, I guess, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. But uh, poults, if they get wet, it being as young as they are, they need to be dried off within an hour or they are going to die of hypothermia. That, wow. that came from an end. Of, I think I was listening to a podcast on, on uh, oh, yeah, NWTF bio. He was talking about that. He's saying, yeah. If they don't get dried off within an hour, they will die of hypothermia. Wow. So, so that's the biggest thing out here in the West. You know, look at, look at where we're at. We're at March 1st. I mean, what, what, what kind of rainfall have we gotten oh, since yeah. uh, Sunday, right? Over five inches of rain here in Enumclaw. I mean, Crazy. yeah. And it, unfortunately, right, this is starting to get into, you know, End of March, first part of April starts getting into a little bit of that. The fox start breaking up, and you, they're starting to get a little bit frisky, you know. And they're they're looking at mating and and all that stuff. So, it for being wet out here. I mean, you, we're in the Pacific Northwest. What does it do all spring? You know, yeah. wait five minutes, maybe the weather will change. Exactly. I mean, we usually get all, you can get a, you know, all four seasons in one day in the spring. So exactly. It's yeah. crazy. So you, um, you chat, you know, we chatted about conservation and stuff. Uh, let's get into talking about hunting. What, what, if I had no idea how to, you know, hunt turkey, where's the uh, best place to start and, and go, you know, kind of build off that and go from there? Well, I mean, well you found one place go to yeah. your local sporting you know events or whatever like the Puyallup Sportsman Show or you have a, the Northwest one down in Portland a lot of times you know, there's people there that talk about turkeys um, geez, I mean videos uh, I mean I was self-taught I mean I, I guess I'll self-promote myself I do besides me and rich man who who lives in Yakima, we're we're kind of the two that teach the most about turkey hunting. We have seminars and stuff that do it. I have, you know, besides teaching at the Puyallup Sportsman Show, I got a couple other 
you know, classes that I'll, I'll actually teach basic turkey hunting. I, I'll get into in depth on it, but I'm, I want to teach the basic tools of how to get out there and go turkey hunting. Yeah. And you, I, I actually, I don't think we put it on YouTube, but we actually did a full on uh, YouTube. Uh, uh, I think we actually did it on Zoom and then I converted it over to YouTube. But I we did a whole seminar on on Zoom last year during the pandemic. We did a virtual one. So I'll, I'll anybody ask me, I'll gladly send that out. We did it was me, Rich Man, and and a couple other people that did it. But yeah. uh, other thing is is get on your local hunting forums. Once again, I'll self-promote. I am a moderator on Hunting Washington, and uh, and people can get on there. I I hear people that are first-time turkey hunters all the time, and uh, I I I welcome anybody any questions, and I, I go full bore on on helping them out with without no question. I mean, yeah. just so happened that that I was doing that just before. Uh, we got on, I was on the forum talking to some guy that was asking about sitting and, and turkey calling and stuff. And so it, a lot, there's a lot of good people. I mean, that Washington hunting forum, it's hunting Washington is actually one of the largest hunting forums in the country. I and mean, we got something like 20 plus thousand members there. Wow. So, I mean, that, that's another good source. Uh, other sources, if you want to go out there as first-time turkey hunters, call up the state state bios uh, biologist, federal bios. Talk to those guys. Yeah. I mean, they they can put you on, you know, where the turkeys might be. Of course, you know, if you're not as old as me, you got to go through Hunter's Head. And if you guys want to go through my class, you can. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, you're all good. But I talk about turkey hunting in my hunters at too. <clears throat> so I, I let everybody know. Answer questions there too. So that, that that's another avenue. I mean, the other thing in the state of Washington is uh is not just the state biologists, go to the state uh um nuisance specialists. They I, I started telling people about this. That they are probably one of the best contacts because actually they have a list of people, especially in the Northeast part of the state or Klickitat or the Southeast. They actually have a list of people that, uh, that call up constantly and say, Hey, we need to do something with these turkeys. And a lot of those private landowners might be, um, open to letting people hunt on their land to get rid of their turkey problem i mean that that's that's another good thing it's just kind of finding your way uh around around there the other thing is use onyx maps use uh i've i've uh virtual you know scouted before before i go out there because you know i'm with you keaton i live out here on the west side that's that's a you know three plus hour drive for me to go out there, you know, <laughs> to go hunting, but I still do it. I mean, I opening weekend, I got like almost eight people in, in a five day stretch. I'm going to first time Turkey hunters I'm taking out. So yeah, that's cool. For sure. Well, that's like, you know, 
that's like the tough thing is getting over there. Or, you know, I, the reason I asked that question earlier is like, how do I, you know, help with preserving our, our Turkey and, and how do I find out how to hunt these Turkey if I'm, you know, miles and miles away. So, um, but yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. you were talking about, uh, the talking like the nuisance nuisance specialists. That's actually, how I got an in with a guy on the click attack um, several years ago, I emailed, I can't remember who I emailed park fish and wildlife. And they're like, Hey, um, thanks for reaching out. We'll forward you to somebody. And then that person emailed me like, Hey, we got this guy who just absolutely hates all the turkeys on his property and he needs somebody to come take care of a few of them. And that turned into a relationship where I um, went to his property every spring and I shot at least one Tom off of his property. And then uh, back when there used to be uh, a draw, a draw for the fall tag in click attack, I went down there and shot one in the fall. And that was like, that was probably the best way for me to like get into turkey hunting in Washington. I'd done the public land game. Um, I had, I was, my dad and I were self-taught. We, uh, it was a, it was a struggle learning um, being self-taught, but once you kind of, we kind of got that in talking to using all of our sources and all of, all of these different platforms to find where to go, who to talk to, that was kind of the best way to really get into the sport and really get involved and, and learn more about turkey hunting was being able to talk to that nuisance specialist. I think, I think the biggest thing is, is I was lucky on my first hunt for turkey. I got a first, a turkey my first time out so it's getting that hook into somebody that's that's why we the relationship i got with the private land over owner in the northeast corner of the state that i go to every year and i bring hunters out i might my success rate there is is like 80 to 90 percent that i've come away with somebody getting a bird off that property mm-hmm. and 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 getting them hooked that's the biggest thing if you can get right away success you know you 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 guys fishing that's setting that hook i mean they're they're hooked after that i mean i i took out a good example i took out an air force vet just so happened he was from minnesota too i didn't know him he's he's much younger than me but i took took him out he got his first two birds ever on that property and now he's coming back to be a mentor uh with me this this coming spring so he's actually going to teach everybody other people how to how to turkey hunt hunch. i think that's kind of cool kind of convert people over he's hunted before i mean he's he's a grouse hunter and he's he's hunted deer back home in minnesota but not much so much here but uh, you know teaching them people it's not just, Hey, this is hunting. It's, it's sustainability. It's, it's, you know, organic meat, but it's also, Hey, you should really not, not just take, it's also give back so that, you know, you, you can take from the land, but you also got to give back too. So that, that, that's a big thing. Oh, for sure. So if somebody, well, I guess let's take some of your, your hunters that you're mentoring. Um, what kind of gear are you 
suggesting some people, like people just getting into hunting, what, what, what's the basic setup somebody needs? Like where do you, if somebody's coming up to you at a show or maybe what you mentioned at a show, if I am, if I'm on a budget and I want to go turkey hunting this spring, like what are just the essentials that I would, I would need to buy? The biggest thing with turkeys, uh, kind of getting into a little bit of biology of a turkey, they are, their number one sense is their eyesight. The, uh, NWTF bio told me this like five, six years ago when I went to that leadership course, they said the turkey's eyesight is equivalent to us reading a book at a hundred yards. That's how well they can see. Plus they can see in color. So the biggest thing I tell them, camo head to toe, gloves, face mask, and it doesn't matter what kind of camo, go buy some cheap stuff at Walmart. You know, I, that's how I started out. Cheap stuff at Walmart, real tree or mossy oak, $5 pants and a shirt or, or, you know, jacket. It didn't matter. No, no, of course I got nothing but expensive stuff, <laughs> yeah. but uh, it, it doesn't matter. Camo is something that breaks up your outline. Camo is good. One thing I'll, I'll tell people is do not wear red, white, or blue, only because that is the colors in the Tom's head, red, white, or blue. So a lot of times you don't, you get people that, you know, get a little excited and they see that color and they may just not shoot and not realize what they're shooting at. So the recommendation is never wear red, white, or blue. Yeah. Camouflage head to toe face mask, hat, gloves, the whole, the whole gambit. And like I said, it doesn't have to be expensive. Yeah. Gotcha. You know, and that's something that I don't think a lot of people think about uh, the colors that, you know, you think you see a turkey, it's brown, but they're, you know, they got a lot of other colors involved in them. And I, I mean, I honestly, I didn't even think about, you know, if you wear like a little bit of red or white or blue, and a lot of more people are going to be probably out turkey hunting than deer hunting. And when the opportunity arises, they'll they could shoot at you. I mean, yeah. you hear stories all the time of people getting shot at just because they, you know, they weren't sure or they saw something move or they saw a color out of their eye. You know, it's pretty, pretty crazy. It actually happened to a hunter ed instructor. Of course, being a hunter ed instructor, we hear about a lot of incidents that happened and, this was a local hunter ed instructor in the northeast corner. Him and his buddy were were hunting, and they were separated. Back to the typical, you know, you, when you set up, not in a ground blind or whatever, you put your back to a big tree, and you set up a decoy out in front of you in the spring if if you want, and you call. Just so happened a, a son and uh, and uh, dad were out and the dad saw movement and told his son to shoot while well, he shot in between those two and uh one guy got pellets in the neck and the other guy got pellets in the shoulder and it, no serious it, it, none of them they weren't seriously hurt i mean they're picking lead out and it hurt like hell but but yeah, it, 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 a perfect example. It's just the guy saw movement and pulled his kid to shoot. I mean, know what you're shooting at before you pull that trigger, because once you pull that trigger, you can't take it back. Yeah, 100%. So besides um, clothes and make sure you're camo head to toe, uh, what else? What other kind of gear does somebody need? 
Well, of course we'll go go with. Uh, you need something to to shoot shoot with uh, <laughs> to shoot and get your turkey. So the funny thing is, twelve gauge, twenty gauge. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll uh, promote it. I'm using a four ten. I've used a four ten this spring and this fall. And uh, talk about a fun shooting gun and super quiet. Uh, I also, uh, you can use a crossbow or a regular bow. Uh, those are also good. Now, other gear would be, uh, of course, calls. Because when, when I go into my class, um, a lot of times I'll ask people if they're hunters, if there's hunters in my class. And I'll get a good mix of people that are hunters. Uh, and I'll ask if there's turkey hunters there, and that, that's not that many, but there are a lot of, uh, I ask, are there elk hunters? There are actually a lot of elk hunters, and then I go into the fact is, are you archery hunting? And some are, and I said, well, if you archery hunt, then you've actually turkey hunted, because, you know, turkey hunting in the spring and hunting elk in the rut are almost the same thing because they're vocal. You're acting like a cow a lot of times or another, you know, you're you're doing cow calls or you're doing hen yelps. So that's that's one attractive. You can gobble to get shock gobble or, you know, bugling like an elk. Mm -hmm. But you're also going after the lead either the most dominant tom or the head elk in the herd. So I say it's virtually the same thing. A lot of people don't agree to it, but I mean, it kind of, it kind of is. The one thing is the only difference is you've got a much lighter pack out when you're, when you're tricky. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and uh, some other things would be, you know, calls. Of course you want to, want to have calls because you in the spring that's when they're vocal so yeah i i can i can tell people i i usually at the sportsman shows or at my classes i there's two calls within probably less than five minutes i can have you sounding like a turkey and that's a slate which is a pot and peg or a slate call and a, a box call those are probably the two easiest calls to learn and, 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 and also good to have in your vest and arsenal. The third one's a mouth diaphragm, probably the hardest to learn, but I think I, I tell everybody it probably you should learn how to do it because like I said, Turkey's vision is their number one sense. So if you have your Turkey closing in on you, you can't really be sitting there scratching a pot call or, you know, cutting on, on your, your box call or your pot call, that all revolt, you know, involves motion. And plus, how do you hold up your gun when you're trying to, you know, scratch on your pot call or, or cut on your box call? You can't. So you have that, that diaphragm in your mouth and you can make noise with that. You can yelp or cut or whatever with that. Mm -hmm. Those, those are the big three that I have in my vest when I go out. I mean, I, I carry other stuff because I'm, you know, showing people what other calls that you may utilize while you're out in a field. But my number one 
one that I use extensively is a mouth call. I, I very seldom bring out a pot call. Very seldom will bring out a, a, a box call unless I'm out there on property or land that I don't know. And then I'll bring out that box call because that box call is huge volume with very long distance. So you can get shock gobbles just by, you know, cutting up on a box call or, or doing some, some really loud yelps or whatever. But, but for me, a hundred percent, because I, I got a lot of hot air in me. Uh, I, I, got, I could get, I could get pretty loud on, on a mouth diaphragm call. So I'm almost hundred percent. I'm, I, I always got a mouth call in my mouth. Yeah. Um, I had a question for you. What is, what do you, do you use blinds at all? And do you find them, uh, effective on public land or do you use them mostly on private land or do you use them on both? Can you kind of elaborate a little bit on blinds? You guys are reading my mind because that's what I was going to go into next is mention the blinds. Uh, blinds are super good. I think uh, 100% uh, awesome on uh, private land because you can set them up and, and, and forget them. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, also a good thing if you have kids, right? If you're teaching kids or you have your kids with you, you can move a lot more in a blind because it's not as visible. Public land it, it it's not that bad. You can set up a blind the day set up the blind day of, and it's mm-hmm. not going to bother a turkey as long as you're broke up enough. Yeah. The problem is, is you don't want to set it up the night before unless you know nobody's trekking out there because you know you go up there, go there in the morning and you got somebody set up in your blind. I mean, it's a possibility, but I mean, you probably should know your area and thinking that nobody's going to be around. That that. That's the game of, of public, you know, hunting. Sometimes you set up a tree stand or whatever, and you come come the next day and find out somebody's up your tree stand. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, it's public land and it's open to everybody. So, I mean, it's either saying, hey, that's my tree stand, or you just, you know, okay, it's, it's your game, whatever, and, and you walk away. Yeah. But that that's that's some of the stuff you gotta deal with when it's when it's uh, you know public land. But I have quite a few uh, blinds, different blinds, uh, different colors, different sizes, uh, all all great. I, I've hunted out of out of them uh, turkey hunting, especially when I have people that might have mobility issues, people that can't sit still. I mean, it, it's good because. When you go out turkey hunting, sometimes if you're sitting out, you know, up against a tree or whatever, sometimes you're sitting there for a while. So, so you can't really move when you're out in the open out there if you know you got turkeys around you. So having that blind, you can set up in a fairly decent chair inside it. And a lot of times I can fall asleep in it, and I, you know, take a nap in the middle of the day, you know, eat some food. You know. <laughs> But yeah, blind blinds are 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 super good. But the, there again, you're starting to get into the higher end of of uh, turkey hunting. They're not cheap. I mean, you can get cheap blinds. I would not recommend them because they just kind of fall apart. Yeah. 
Do you, when you set up your blind, do you feel like you uh, have to like gather some brush around it or are Turkey uh, like not as affected by that? They're, they're not like deer. Yeah. They, they're not as affected by having that out there unless, you know, you put it right in front of their travel path, yeah. which uh, I have a tendency when you set up blinds, you, you kind of want to set up blinds just like you, you do if you're setting up on a tree. You kind of want to, don't want to be silhouetted. You kind of want to set it back out, has a backdrop, but trees back behind you or something. Don't just set it out in the middle of the field in the middle of nowhere. And that that might be a little more obvious, but uh, yeah, yeah, you, you definitely they they don't like a deer. If you set up something out there, a deer a deer's going to look at it for like three days and avoid <laughs> yeah. it. You know, now at turkey, I've seen turkeys. You know, virtually we set up the blind it happened to be the tiano wave which is i i got drawn for this fall and uh we set up the blind that morning and we had 60 birds walk in on us and they, that blind wasn't there <laughs> i mean so they did they didn't care yeah i got i got one more question since we're kind of on the gear train um you know i've heard a tractor calls work for turkey uh, can you kind of explain like what an attractor call could be and how it could benefit a turkey hunter? So, so Tom's basically gobble at anything. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I never heard of a tractor call, but I could tell you, you can uh, hoot owls, uh, coyote calls, peacock calls, honking your horn, slamming your car door. I mean, you could holler and yell and you, I mean, elk, I've, I've actually had cow calls, elk cow calls and bugles where I've had turkeys bugling at me or turkeys not bugling, gobbling at me. Yeah. But they, they respond to a high, high pitch or loud repetitive noise. So I, I don't know if it's just tractor call. I, I don't know what that is. <laughs> All right. But, like a locator call. My bad. My, uh, oh. I meant like a locator call still new to the Turkey game. Well, I just named off all them locator calls. That's, yeah. that's exactly it. You know, yeah. all, uh, crow call. That's, that's another one. Uh, I, I have a guy that uses peacock calls quite, quite, uh, a, a lot. The funny thing is, is I have a hoot owl call, but I won't, I won't even use it. I actually use my own, my own voice to, you know, just, oh, 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 oh. and then I get turkeys gobbling at me. So, yeah, that's really cool. The goose call. Uh, some guys even use a goose. <laughs> call. I mean, a couple of years ago, no, no turkeys would gobble at all until the geese started going off and then the turkeys were going <laughs> It was like their sign or something. Yeah, I know. They, they respond to whatever they feel like. I mean, they won't respond to any hen yelps, but a goose going off. Yeah, they're going off. They're going <laughs> off. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. I've had days on that uh, property down there on the click and tat where we're close to the road and like I'm sitting waiting for daylight. And every time my car drives by on the road, and then another car <laughs> drive by, or like you hear a door slam like any little noise that was not natural boo, just constant non-stop i i went on a guided hunt down there i i had 
bought a guided hunt and I just, I ended up giving it to my son-in-law, but I took a, a bunch of other first time turkey hunters out. And I was actually there to film it more than anything. And I didn't film a damn thing. But the funny thing is, is the click attack has, has so much cattle down there. When they, when the cows started moving, we heard birds gobbling at the damn cows. Wow. Like, yeah, there's another new thing. Moo like a cow and you'll get a turkey to gobble at you. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. That's awesome. So you talked a little bit, Russ, about uh, your fall tag in the Tianaway. Tell us, talk to us a little bit about the difference between your spring season versus your fall season in Washington. Uh, that's a good question, and that's actually a quite good. People ask me that a lot. Spring hunting, of course, spring is their mating season, so so of course you're going to get more of the active toms, more of the gobbling, more of the they're more receptive to hand calling. Uh, whereas in the fall. And, and they're broke up into smaller flocks in the spring. You're talking the biggest flock you might see is maybe 30, but they'd be more like, you know, 10 to 20 in a flock. Whereas in the fall, they tend to gather up and they're just together to feed. So in the northeast corner, if you go into some of the hay fields up in Davenport, it's like nothing to see a thousand birds in one field. Wow. So that you're talking big flocks. I mean, you brought up the good example. I've I've hunted that Tianaway tag, and, and it's it's private property that we're hunting, and the guy's got a postage stamp like five acres, and but he has eighty plus birds roosting outside his back porch, and they don't go anywhere. They they stay there. They've been there for the last what six? Oh, I've been hunting there seven years i mean they don't go nowhere it's not the same bird seven years but the birds keep on staying there and, and but in the fall they're just in a, in a lot bigger packs they're not gobbling i mean you're hearing more of hens more of the juveniles uh the the toms do strut because i did get a nice tom on that tanaway tag and it was in full strut you know 30 feet in front of the blind so so they do strut and they will gobble, but I mean, they, they it's more of excited. You caught him off guard type gobble. You know, yeah. he's like running up a hill and like you scared the crap out of him. And he's like and he's <laughs> running uphill, yeah. but he's not gobbling to attract it, attract a hen. <laughs> so <clears throat> earlier you were talking, you kind of comparing elk hunting and turkey hunting, um, especially like spring season when they're gobbling and the archery elk tag, how would you compare that fall turkey where they're not as vocal? Would you kind of compare that to say hunting elk and like the rifle season or a later season where they're not talking? Uh, no, I call I, uh, fall season. I call it more of trying to shoot a uh, fish in a barrel. I mean, it's, it's almost like that. I mean, turkeys can be dumb. They are dumb during the fall. They're, they really 
don't give a rip about anything. They they just kind of walk nonchalantly around. They don't really care. A perfect example is farmers. I mean, they'll, the, the farmers, they're not wearing any camel or nothing. They can virtually walk right up to the turkey and smack it in the head, or they come up and start pecking on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, perfect example is I brought out a, a Navy guy in the fall on in the same property. I brought him out. He got his two birds. I actually, he got his, filled his four tags. I had two tags left. And I was on the back tailgate of my truck showing him how to clean the birds and everything and field dress them and, and, and uh, actually to process them. <laughs> and the owner came over and he says, hey, there's a whole bunch of turkeys sitting in the corral. I'm like, yeah, I hear them. I hear them yelping and stuff. I'm like, no, I, I'm trying to teach, teach this uh, kid how to do this. And uh, finally, they were raising so much hell over there. I said, oh, I got to go over there and shut them up. So I had, I, I literally had a blaze orange vest on. Wow. And I went over there. The thing was, any camo during that whole weekend we were there, us wearing camo, those birds would be gone as soon as they saw us. But when I walked around that corral with my blaze orange vest on, they kind of got startled. And they said, oh, that guy ain't got nothing to worry about. So they were still meandering around. I pulled up to the fence and dropped two more birds. (laughs) Crazy. Awesome. The landowner says, hey, in the fall, I don't know why you're wearing all that expensive camo. You just wear your blue jeans and a freaking, you know, you know, a black jacket or whatever. They ain't going to pay attention to camo. They're they're probably going to run from you. Yeah. That's funny. Hey, I, I had a I had a question. Well, it's kind of like a story, and then maybe see if you you knew like the solution to it. Um, so we're out on the Yakima last year, and I was taking a client, and he was swinging streamers in this run, and all of a sudden we hear commotion across the river. And I look up on the hillside, and it looked like an episode of like Gang Wars. Like one flock of turkey was coming down the hill, and another just came out of this like lower brush. And next thing you know, they start like circling, kind of doing like a half circle on each other. And then just two birds start just getting after it, like just fighting each other. And then they like both stopped and they gobbled and took off running the other ways. What, like, what is that just kind of a weird phenomenon that happened? And I witnessed it, or is that, is that something that is it territorial or do you? Was it, was it spring? It was October. Really? It was October. Yeah, they. It was. I, we were just sitting there. I was like, "Oh, look, there's turkey." There's. I thought they're all together, and they like walked up to each other. They jumped, jumped on each other, and started beating each other up. And then, uh, like, the gang ran off one way, and the other gang ran off the other way. And, then, and the guy's like, "Does yeah. that happen?" And I was like, "I don't know." That 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 is kind of weird for being it. It was you know later on in the year in the spring. Yeah, they they can be toms can be territorial because they. They're more of a, I got my flock of hens, you know, don't come near them. Yeah. It's, it's, they're, they're using the same analogy as elk hunting, you know, the herd elk will protect his cows. Yeah. You know, that dominant Tom will protect its hens and it, they will fight. Yeah. And that's the big thing. We go back to um, a little bit about decoys and using decoys. I probably didn't bring that up at all. Yeah. But uh, example was, is I, I had brought out uh, uh, 
kid from Ohio came out, was going for a double slam, and we found a place for him to hunt. I had, and this was opening weekend, I had a full strut decoy, Tom decoy out with two hens, one feeder. A feeder was one with its head down, and one alert is a hen with its head up. Mm-hmm. And we had Toms, we had two Toms come in 80 yards, hung up on us, circled all the way around us. Wow. And it, and we had birds coming in, but they would not come anywhere close to us. So about noon, I decided to sneak out there and pull that full uh, strutting Tom out of there. And then uh, we had hens would walk right through our decoys, not 10 feet in front of the blind and, and not, you know, pay no attention. About five o'clock in the afternoon, I'm making sporadic calls because I'm not getting a lot of response. <clears throat> and all of a sudden over my shoulder, I, I hear this putting and drumming and I freeze because it's, it's a, uh, the kid that I had out there has Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. And so he was there, his mom was uh, um, filming and his dad was there to help him out on the gun. And uh, <laughs> all I could do was freeze because I was behind a blind up against this huge oak tree doing the calling. And I froze because I didn't want to move and spook this bird. I knew because it was drumming, it had to be a tom. And then I could hear him in there. You see him? You see him? And I, I hear him moving off to my right side. And I'm not looking. I'm not, I'm not calling. I'm not doing anything. And the next thing I know, I see the gun poking out the, the, the blind. And I'm like, oh, yeah, come on. And then, he, then I hear him. His dad yelling, shoot him, shoot him. And he says, dad, I can't see him. Here's one thing that we've learned is your point of view to the pointer, the shooter's point of view are totally different. You might be thinking that I see that bird, you got a clear shot. And that shooter's saying, I don't have a clear shot. And they had to, he actually had to clear a tree and he dropped that uh, bird at 38 yards. Wow. So uh, it went a 410 and this was a custom uh, Jeb's um, choke tubes and everything. And I think Jeb's actually made that 410, but that 410 was probably three feet long at, at best. I mean, it, it, but that <laughs> thing was a turkey slayer. I mean, that kid, that kid, uh, uh He's something else. You should, uh, if you get a chance, look him up. He's a uh, his nickname is Critter Gitter. He's probably all over YouTube and everything else. But uh, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that was pretty exciting. But we figured out that them toms hung up because that strutting tom was out there. So in the spring, with the toms fighting, they felt like hey, that Tom's there. I don't feel like getting my ass kicked, so I'm not going in anymore. So that's why they wouldn't come in. They, they saw that one, and they're thinking, I'm not going to fight no more. I've been getting my ass kicked all this time, so I'll just give up on this and, get, and go somewhere else. <clears throat> so once I pulled that Tom out, they were fine with the hens. <clears throat> yeah, that's a cool story. What a, um, what a great opportunity you know, for someone with that may not have the same opportunities for us to hunt and yeah. to get to emphasize on his hunt. That's really cool. So 
when it, when it comes to decoys real quick i know like as a duck hunter sometimes we have like all these different like oh i'm gonna have my decoys make a j i'm gonna have some mallards over here and i'm gonna have some gadwalls over here and it's gonna look like this formation that goes with the wind is there do you have any specific setup for how you set up your turkey decoys or do you use like do you have a hen facing this way and the tom strutting facing this way like 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 what is your decoy setup is that is it as important <clears throat> in turkey hunting Normally you want it kind of yes and no. <clears throat> there are some specifics that you want to follow. You want to set up anywhere about 20 to 30 yards out in front of you. You never want to go. I mean, your, your, your best range for any type of gun, 12 gauge, 20 gauge, whatever, you really shouldn't be shooting beyond 30 yards. Technology of ammo can extend that range, but I mean, Ethically, 30 yards is probably good. <clears throat> you want to pretty much, the one thing in true nature is that a hen will never follow a tom. A tom always follows the hen. So you want to make it when you set up, if you set up a tom or a jake, you want to kind of have uh, in such a, such a way that the hen, the tom is actually following the hen or somewhere behind it. So you can, you don't want to spin it, although the wind could spin it around. You don't want to have the hen facing the tom. The other thing is, is that if a tom comes in, it's going to come face to face with another tom. It'll never, I don't, somebody may correct me down the line, but I don't think toms will come face to face. They don't really sneak up behind them. So, so, that's another thing to think about when if you're setting up a tom. You also got to look at decoys, <clears throat> uh, what time of the year it is. The perfect example of if I was setting up that tom or that Jake, if if you know the mating season been going hot and heavy and the dominant toms have been kicking the crap out of the younger toms, a lot of times a full strutting tom may not be the answer. It may be you know, a Jake, uh, I use, uh, what they call a funky chicken. We actually gotten a couple, quite a few birds off that. The funky chicken is actually a Turkey, but it's a very skinny Turkey. It's a Jake and it stands up real tall <clears throat> and it looks funky. So, so, so thus the funky chicken, <clears throat> but, uh, and later on in the season, you probably want to go to nothing but hens. Uh, you probably or or nothing at all. Yeah. <clears throat> so it just depends on the time of time of the season, and how you kind of want to position your your turkeys. But I'm, I'm telling you, you're probably going to ask me the type of decoys. I've had everything. I've had the foam ten dollar ones. My first very first decoy was actually a plastic Primos blow up one that I've fallen asleep in my blind before. And when I woke up, I thought it was a turkey and almost shot my decoy. But uh, in the foam ones, and now I have Avion X and uh, um, Flex Tones, some Flex Tones that are basically like Avion X, but half the price. Yeah. So you, you, can, you can spend as little or as much as you want when it comes to decoys or anything you do with hunting. It's all the same. Turkey hunting, duck hunting, 
No, it's all the same. You can spend as little as you want, or you can spend as much as you want. Yeah, yeah. for sure. For sure. So I have I have a question. Uh, kind of, we're on this gear path right now. Um, for like a new hunter coming in, you know, someone that's never done it. Um, do you mind explaining kind of what a plug in a shotgun is, and do you need one for turkey hunting? So when it come when it comes to plugs, it's just like duck hunting. You can only have three rounds of plug is basically all shotguns the shotgun tube will hold like five the plug will eliminate limit how many you can put up the tube like two and then one in the chamber so there's your three rounds so it's no different than duck hunting it's 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 the same thing the only thing is you gotta if you're hunting public land uh you gotta watch out uh if you're some uh state managed land in the state of Washington, you got to use non-toxic um, loads or, but you can shoot lead, but you can on that non-toxic areas. Yeah. You, you can shoot lead, but that's kind of going on the wayside when it comes to turkey hunting. I mean, I think even uh, the NWTF is starting to push non-toxic stuff. I mean, we're all, in new technology we're all using either heavy shot non-toxic or tss loads nowadays so so i mean that's all non-toxic shot anyway yeah is is your non-toxic shots going to be like tungsten or like what what kind of uh non-toxic just to explain it a little better for someone that might not know non-toxic is basically like tungsten or tss tungsten super steel uh, uh heavy shot also has a non-toxic which is a copper plated uh a combination of copper and, and steel and i think some titanium in it i'm, I'm not 100 positive but it's all all copper plated non-toxic shot in it uh yeah it's it's, it's basically you know lead can be poisonous to game if they eat it so yeah I mean, lead is is the mainstay of of shotguns. So, I mean, it's it's been around forever, but I mean, new technology and shot. I mean, safer for the environment, stuff like that. Yeah, but yeah. you also got to take into consideration that uh, most TSS loads are about five bucks a shell, so, so yeah. they're they're not cheap. I mean. Uh, you can find deals. I, I search around for deals. I've, I've shot a uh, heavy shot uh, 410 super nice because I can find more ammo for that than I can 12 and 20 gauge now. And of course a crossbow, that's my next foray in all this this spring, the crossbows coming out. So, right. so I'm, I'm, I'm going to try that after everybody else gets their birds, this, this, uh, <clears throat> this opener in, in the second week. So yeah, that's awesome. <clears throat> well, Russ, we've talked a lot of great stuff about uh, your background, NWTF, turkey conservation, how to get started, gear. Um, oh, sorry, Keaton. Keaton has one more one more question for you before we move on. I have, I have one more thing just so uh, I don't think we really covered it. Where should you put your shot placement on a turkey? Oh, good question. So, so if if you're shooting 
a shotgun, you basically want to aim right for its neck. So if you're shooting high, you'll still get uh, um, a shot at the head. Also, you want to shoot at the head. You don't want to shoot at the body because most of the meat's in it, you know, breast meat. All that meat's in the body. So if you shoot the body with a shotgun, then you're ruining the best part of the, of yeah. the turkey. So. Gotcha. What about uh, where should my if, if I was shooting a bow, where should my shot placement be? Again, you're reading my mind, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. uh, when when it comes to shooting a bow, you got you got a little more option there because you're not putting big holes like a, like a shotgun would. So your best thing is is the just above its drumstick or its leg, uh, in the side. You're you're shooting at vitals on this bird that's probably a little bit bigger than a golf ball, but a little bit smaller than, than a baseball. So you're shooting at something pretty, pretty small, uh, that you can do a full on breast shot. Um, you can, if it's going away from you spine, if it's in a full, uh, fan, you can do a Texas heart shot. If you know what that means, or, or if you follow, uh, Deadpool at all, you know, straight up Broadway. You know, right up, <laughs> right up the wazoo. Yeah. That, that that's that's another shot. But yeah, there, there are turkey. There, there are turkey style guillotine blades that you can get for archery. That are you can try and take its head off, but you gotta realize shooting archery, man. You better be a good shot to take it. Yeah. Take it the head because i mean that's even smaller than going after its vitals but you go on youtube there's guys out there that do it i mean and they flop those heads over with them guillotine blades but them blades are like you know three inches across so i mean you got a little bit of shooting the surface there but still have to be good at it yeah it's impressive to take a shot like that yeah Yeah. All right, continue on, Kyle. Sorry, I just wanted to make sure we we talked all about this gear, talked all about this stuff, and then we didn't <laughs> we didn't even talk about when it comes to shooting a turkey. So I thought that was kind of a key point. No, for sure. I think that's a good good point there, Keaton. I probably should have checked it first. Um, but yeah, kind of what we were going towards is what is important, or, or why are turkeys important both to you, Russ, and to the environment, the state of Washington, why do we need to take care of turkeys? Why do we have to have conservation for them? I, I think, uh, I tend to think that turkey hunting is probably, and, and maybe it's just me being biased, but it's, it's a good uh, learning on how to hunt. I think it's probably the best thing to hunt if you've never hunted before. It's not super hard. But it's not, you know, super easy too. It's 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 a good medium to hey, if I've never hunted, what can I start out with? And I think that's turkey hunting. As far as it goes for habitat or conservation in this state, I I, I think that the NWTF is probably the driving force behind turkey hunting and having that habitat. And having that bird in the state that we can hunt. Uh, example is, um, I get the numbers every year from WDFW. 
And in in twenty one, we sold fifty over fifty five thousand turkey tags. That does not include small game because you got to get a small game tag in order to get a turkey tag. We calculated that out cost to take. That's about $850,000 that we put into conservation of the turkeys and in the state. Wow. So turkeys are, 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 um, believe it or not, people may not think it, but they're pretty super popular in this state. I mean, we have a lot of, we truly do have a lot of turkeys here compared to other places in the country that are yelling that they don't have enough turkeys but we have a lot of them and and they're super fun to hunt that's awesome that's awesome if if someone wanted to get involved in the nwtf how do they do that so the the big thing is is uh, of course uh if these guys will probably post up my my contact information and stuff contact me or go to nwtf.org. You can look up events on, on the main page, or you can look up chapters in, in your area. Get involved with the NWTF chapter. Uh, become an NWTF member. We, we, the big thing is, is, is you, if we want more turkey hunting opportunities and stuff, is having that voice. We got to have that voice. We're, Rocky Mountain Elk is huge out here. I mean, we sold 55,000 turkey takes, but we have less than 400 NWTF members in this state. I mean, have that voice that we can bring to the state that that allows us more opportunities to hunt turkeys and and possibly to move turkeys. So NWTF.org or get a hold of me. Like I said, I'm a state chapter president. I can't. I can steer you in any direction that you want in the state when it comes to chapters or contact information for those chapters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We'll, we'll for sure throw that up there both uh, on our website and in our show notes. So people can click directly on that. So they can, we hopefully you can help them get more involved in Turkey hunting in Washington. Yeah. And, and since we're on this trend, uh, is there any upcoming like meetings or events coming up for uh, South Sound Strutters? Uh, another great question just so happens that I have uh, upcoming this is a a veteran only one that's in Yelm Uh, when is that the 12th of March I'm going to be teaching you know pretty much veterans but they're getting such a huge response that they may open it up to non-veterans and they may open it uh, another um, they may open up another class. Uh, I got two basic turkey hunting uh, seminars at Tacoma Sportsman's Club, one at on the 9th and one on the 23rd, open to anybody. Uh, they say touch bases, call uh, Tacoma Sportsman's Club to let them know you're coming. Uh, those are both on a Wednesday and 7 o'clock at night. Uh, as far as a banquet for us, October 8th here in Enumclaw. Uh, that's when we'll be, it's a long ways away, but but if you're talking about other banquets within the state, Yakima is having theirs uh, May 21st. So if you're listening from out at Yakima, uh, I'm, we're actually, I think I'm going to be there. 
but uh, Rich will be there because he's now the president of that chapter there. So, so uh, that's their banquet that they're going to have, right? And I believe it's in Sila at the the convention center, I think. But if, if you if if you follow the podcast, I'm sure they'll put our our Facebook page, and that's that's all posted in our Facebook page, which is South Sound Strutters or Washington State NWTF. Yeah. Uh, I want to add too is that you'll have a bio up on our um, on our website www.theyoungguidespodcast.com and this will be a quick way to find all of uh, Russ's information and information about the chapter etc so um, you'll be able to check that out too so just check head over to our website or like Russ is saying in our bio or Instagram we'll have stuff up for him so and I, I was talking to Russ before we started recording um, Rich talking about how Rich was the guy that got me started in turkey hunting. And yeah, if you're in, in Yakima and you're in Eastern Washington, Rich, Rich is a great guy to learn from. Um, definitely instilled a passion in me. Um, and I can only imagine uh, Russ, you and you were the same way. I'm just talking to you and learn more about you. I, I'd be super stoked to, to uh, share a blind with you and, and pick your brain even more about hunting turkeys. This has been a great conversation and we've really appreciated having you on. Hey, anytime you guys are out in the area, I'll, I'll be glad to take you out. We can, we can definitely uh, go out in the woods and hunt some birds. That'd be fun. For sure. Well, uh, is it so just, uh, Oh, go ahead, Kyle. No, you're good. Uh, I was going to say, is there anything else that uh, you think we missed that you would like to add? Jeez. No, I, I think, I think we're, I think that's pretty good. Well, I think we covered a lot of topics and yeah, this is I just kind of looked down at, at the time. I'm like, Holy crap, man. We've been at this for an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This will, you know, once you get going on this, you don't realize how, how much, you know, you cover and you, you just kind of get conversating and stuff. So it will, it will, it's, it's best when you're just, you know, your, your conversation is more of a BS session. I'd, I'd like this more, you know, not a structured type interview, bam, 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 you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Well, sweet. And Keaton, you want to bring us into the, the last little part here? Yeah. So this is our favorite part of the podcast. I'm sure if you listen to some of our old podcasts for us, uh, that you, uh, have listened to this segment, this is our rapid fire round. Um, and we're just going to hit you with a series of questions and kind of just whatever comes first, just kind of let it flow and answer as you go. So, so to start off, what is, where's your dream destination to hunt turkeys? Probably Florida to get my Osceola. Awesome. Would that finish your slam? Well, I can, you know, Easterns are in Minnesota, so I can go back home to my sister's property to get an Eastern. It doesn't have to be here in Washington. I got other offers in other states to get Easterns, but I think that Osceola would probably be, be my dream turkey hunt. Nice. Have you ever... Have you ever uh, played around with the idea of going south of the border and hunting the the golds down there? Well, you know, 
No, not really until I heard uh, uh, Steve Ranella going across over there and, and hunting turkeys over there. And now I'm like, oh, or, or coos deer. And I'm like, in the same time, they hunt, hunt golds over there. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know what? That might be kind of interesting, but not not right now. It, it, it's a far dream. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you're going out, you're getting ready for a day of hunting in the spring or in the fall. What's your favorite meal to have in the blind while you're turkey hunting? And what kind of beverage are you having with you? Probably a uh, beverage would be Coke Zero and probably food would be uh, some jerky. Oh, yeah. You're headed out. You're about, you know, you're on your way to go turkey hunting. You hop in the truck. What is your go-to music that you're putting on before you go turkey hunting? You know, and listening to your podcast, I knew you were going to ask this. You know, <laughs> it, ain't, it ain't, it's not music. I listen to Sirius XM and it is the NASCAR channel that I'm usually listening to. Awesome. Awesome. Nice. I like it. All right. You head out the door. You got your you got your Coke Zero and you got your jerky. What's the what's the first thing that you're grabbing besides maybe your food, your drink? What's the first thing that you're grabbing that you can't leave behind? My uh, diaphragm mouth calls. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's an important piece. Um, what is the best advice that you could give someone just wanting to start hunting? reach out to to anybody that has tricky hunted before don't be afraid to to ask questions of of you know whether it's calling a state biologist or or contacting anybody within the nwtf all our contact information is on nwtf.org if 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 mine isn't there you can get a hold of our regional director and she'll she'll force you over to me but don't be afraid to reach out and ask questions. That, that's the biggest thing. I mean, I was never taught. We were self-taught. I mean, nobody taught me how to, to turkey hunt, but I, I, I relied on what I learned when I was a kid. So I, I knew how to hunt. So just, you know, reaching out and finding that information through, you know, videos or anything. YouTube is crazy now. What what would we have done in the past without YouTube or, or Google, you know, nowadays? But definitely, don't be afraid to don't be afraid to ask. Yeah. Awesome. Well, what's something that you wish you knew when you first started getting into turkey hunting that you could wish you could go back and tell yourself in California, this is what you needed to do. Jeez, I should have waited for a bigger bird, my first bird. <laughs> That's awesome. Was it a, a Jake or a young Tom or what? It it was it was a Jake. Awesome. My la my last bird in California, which was a Rio, was about it weighed about twenty two pounds, about one inch spurs with about nine and a half inch beard. So that was that was the one I should have waited for. Yeah. Holy mackerel. That's a big bird. Okay. 
we are uh, at the end. We'll, we'd like to end our podcast with your favorite outdoor moment. If it's you, you know, shooting a bird or if it's someone else getting a bird and you, you were along with them or uh, anything, you know, funny, serious, anything along those lines, let us have it. How, how much time you got? I, I think that, I think the funniest, and it, it revolves around hunting, but not turkey hunting. I think the the funniest and the, and the most coolest thing that I done was my my deer when I was twelve years old, and it just so happened the story is I'm on my aunt and uncle's property. Me and my brother are hunting. He can't hunt big game, so I'm carrying my grandpa's 308. We're going down this skitter trail, and and uh, we're going by this big spruce tree. I had better hearing than my brother. My brother brother had eagle eyes. He couldn't see around the tree, but I heard something. When we cleared that tree, there was this buck not 40, 50 yards away. Sun's to our back. And what do I do? I do not pull up my gun. I start jumping up and down, and I, I kid you not, I started screaming, it's a fucking buck. It's a fucking buck. <laughs> and then, and then of course I pulled up and drew and it was facing right towards me. And I'm thinking, why the hell ain't this thing running? Remember what I said? The sun was to our back and he was on a doe trail. So he didn't care. He couldn't see us. Sun was shining in his eyes. So I draw up, he's facing towards me and there's my dad's voice in my head wait till it turns broadside <laughs> about 30 yards it turns broadside i pull the trigger and it if you ever seen shows or if you ever hunted whitetail before they don't die they keep running yeah. so this thing kept on running so i pulled the trigger again by that time it was running straight at me so it was a chest shot third shot i'm shooting a semi-auto third shot i totally missed by that time I hit that third shot, I could have reached out, not fully extended my arm and grabbed it by its antlers. That's how close it was because it was running straight at us. And that third, that third shot, I think it scared us, scared it because it churned before it actually hit me. And all I can remember is as it was tipping over and rolling down this small hill was I heard this bang and I'm not understanding what what that i didn't shoot again and here i am 12 years old and i'm trying to shoot it in the head with the because it's flailing around not realizing it it's not dead yet and i totally miss on that fourth shot and then i'm trying to reload my magazine and i'm shaking so bad is that my bullets are clicking on this magazine like i can't even put a bullet in there and then I realized, hey, this thing's dying, right? So what does my brother do? He grabs this big, huge rock and pitches it at the head. This was a perfect five by five, 10 point, as we call it in Minnesota. Perfect. What's he do? He breaks off the tallest tine on one side. Oh, oh no. <laughs> you remember when I told you I heard that bang and realizing that, that I didn't shoot my brother was carrying a 410 he shot it in the ass because it was so close holy shit and i i hope he listens to this podcast too <laughs> that's awesome yeah 
I mean, that was my, that really was my proudest and, and funnest and funniest moment. Uh, and I tell that story constantly. People are like, oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, that that was uh, that was a good time. That was a big deer. I, I could never, I could never equal that probably ever again. Not in a deer world, but yeah. someday, eleven seasons going on that for elk. Someday I'm going to get a damn elk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of people in that same boat. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, cool. That's a perfect story. That's a great way to end the podcast right there. Well, cool, Russ. We uh, we appreciate you taking the time to hop on and talk to some young guides like us. And you know, we uh, Kyle has a little more experience than I am. I'm learning as I'm going through this podcast. So I've got out there one or two times, and I haven't had my success yet. But I hopefully that me and others that listen to this podcast will be able to benefit from this and maybe change around and get successful this year. So we just want to really thank you for taking the time tonight and just hopping on and chatting with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate you guys having me on. And, and by the way, I, I, I am pleased as punch seeing guys your age taking on and, and showing the passion and, and showing the way to people. I mean, you don't see that very much out of uh, your generation and, and, that's what makes me happy is seeing your your guys's generation and the younger crowd coming out and enjoying the you know not just you know the hunting aspect of it but the conservation of it yeah man that's that's big words that means a lot to both me and kyle yeah thank you russ we appreciate that all right Keaton, let's take us out of here Awesome. Well, we just want to, that was another episode of the Young Guides podcast. We just want to thank Russ tonight for hopping on and chatting with us about his hunting experience, um, about the NWTF and uh, just all around just sharing, you know, everything that he can about hunting turkeys. We hope that you take away something from this, which leads to success on your uh, turkey hunts. Um I also want to add just uh, thank you, Russ, for serving our country and anyone else who serves our country or has served our country. Um, we really appreciate that. Without you guys, we can't do what we love here. You know, we wouldn't be sitting on a podcast tonight. So um, thank you for that. Um, make sure to check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, our website. Pretty much, I would say we're on almost all podcasting platforms. Um, go, you know, go ahead and check us out there. Um, you can also find information about Russ, how to contact him on our website at www.theyoungguidespodcast.com. Um, you can learn a little bit more about Russ and uh, just kind of get to put a face to the voice behind uh, the podcast tonight. So um, we really appreciate everyone taking the time to listen to our podcast, give us feedback, good and bad, because um, that's how we grow. Um, we can't always have five stars and and you know great reviews. You know the dislikes and the and the people that give us three stars or tell us that oh I think you guys could do this better. Uh, we appreciate that a lot. 
Um, we're always looking for guests too. So if you think you're a young guide or you're a uh, outdoorsman or you got a great story, uh, you can, you know, we just message us through our Instagram, the young guides podcast. Um, and we can get chatting about possibly bringing you on too. Um, so Kyle, is there anything else you wanted to add to this? I think that, uh, wraps it up pretty well. It's been a great episode um releasing this right before turkey season of uh, spring 2022 in washington so hopefully get it out there to you guys you guys can get some good information from russ and like keaton said try to get a turkey down on the ground but i, I would also add that a lot of times hunting turkeys isn't all about killing a turkey i've had a lot of times where just having an interaction with a tom or hearing the toms gobbling on the roost i'm like that's it that's, that's all i care about that was awesome yeah. A lot of times it's not not about killing the turkey. It's just having that experience. So, come on, Kyle. We all want to kill a turkey. Oh, may, maybe if they're Keaton and they and they haven't yet. Wait. Yeah, I, I'm going on a couple <laughs> years. All right, I, I'm getting a little itchy. I've already heard them on the the roost. I'm ready to get after it. So, um, well, awesome. Uh, we're all good, Kyle. Yeah, I think that's it. All right. Well, that was another episode of the Young Guides Podcast. Catch you on the next one. Peace.